This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 14, Critical Thinking and Yoga. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Sean Haleen. Sean is a celebrated San Francisco Bay Area yoga teacher who has been studying Hatha yoga and philosophy for over 20 years. He leads alignment workshops all over the country in various teacher trainings. He leads with humor and precision and openly talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly relating to the practice, the teachings, and the business surrounding yoga. Today we sat down to talk about his yoga journey and how critical thinking is an important skill for teachers and practitioners. As always, I really appreciate your support, so if you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter our giveaway. Once more, Atlada is supporting this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more, stay tuned. I'll give more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of the last giveaway. On that note, take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy, maybe even have a laugh. Hi, Sean. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I first discovered you through a friend of mine. She raved about you and she said I should really try your class. And I did and I loved it. And I really enjoyed how you were heart-centered yet precise on alignment. I find sometimes teachers are one or the other. And I really like that kind of combination. Oh, thank you. That's what I strive for. So I'm oh, glad awesome. you're here. Yeah. <laughs> I further connected with you online. I really enjoyed your honesty and your openness about yoga world today, especially the Western yoga world and the modern side of it. So I thought it'd be a great idea for us to sit down and to talk about your yoga journey in general and also the idea of critical thinking. I love that. I can't wait. <laughs> Before we dig into our subject of today, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your yoga journey? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I grew up in central Idaho where I was homeschooled. And a part of my homeschooling process was that my mother would do yoga with me um, a couple of times a week. That's and awesome. Yeah, it was great. I think that started around age seven or eight. And then I think around 11, I started working with uh, uh, Taekwondo teachers, and we would do an hour of Hatha and then an hour of Taekwondo um, <sighs> for a really long time. I, I think I did that for five or six years, and then slowly started to going to public classes. In my hometown at that time, there was, I think, maybe two classes a week <laughs> at a ballet studio. Um, there's a studio now, but back then it was very limited. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I went to college, I had a Rodney E DVD that, <laughs> that was just um, impossible for me to follow along. It was great, but... I remember he would teach uh, up to Titibasana, Firefly Plows, and I just remember being so befuddled as to what <laughs> the hell was going on. But I really loved it, and I kept, uh, I kept working towards it, and I'll never forget his soft voice. Just put both legs over your shoulders and stretch your legs forward and breathe. And I think that was the instruction. But I only really began to go deep in my yoga practice, um, when I got to grad school and I experienced Anusara yoga, um, I was going through a little bit of a tough time. It was my first major heartbreak. And um, I just remember the teachers really speaking to me mm -hmm. and moving me in my body in a way that uh, sparked something that just really like invoked this passionate interest that had 
never been there, even though I'd been doing yoga for all those years. And before I knew it, um, I was teaching and, uh, you know, I was on this path of becoming a professor. I was in grad school. I wanted to teach university. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I think I love, I think I want to be a yoga teacher instead. And, um, just, uh, have been teaching full time ever since. What did you want it to be a professor of? I was debating. I wanted to do maybe sociology. Um, I was in a urban studies program, which is interdisciplinary, and mm -hmm. I was studying uh, addiction with a social uh, psychologist there. Um, but I was toying around with lots of different hmm. ideas at the time, and then I just got distracted by how much I loved yoga and how onerous uh, academia was. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned addiction, and I know I've heard you talk about addiction and eating disorder in the past. Mm -hmm. How has your yoga helped you either down that path or what has it bring to your life? Well, so I had a really serious eating disorder when I was a teenager, and I've grown up experienced addiction, I grew up around addiction, then I studied addiction, um, I've worked on the nonprofit side, the academic side, so it's kind of always been in my life. And, you know, it, people ask me this pretty often, like, how do you think yoga has helped you? And it's hard to say because addiction is so complex. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, when I was getting really deep into the practice, I wasn't still too deeply into the throes of my addiction, but it was still, it was still pretty present. And I think just the ability to, hmm, I have to think about this, just really the ability to come to terms with my body, which uh, I think took the right teacher. It's not always every teacher that can make you feel safe in your body and okay. And yeah. that was just one really important piece of my mm -hmm. ability to kind of come back to um, having a good relationship with food and how I felt. And um, yeah, I think it was the, the catalyst that really got me to feeling fully recovered, um, which was beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think Anasura might have been more helpful than another type of yoga? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, Anusara for For people who remember it, it's been <laughs> almost seven years since it kind of went poof, mm -hmm. as I like to say. Um, you know, I had a really loving teacher mm -hmm. who had a really big heart and just made me feel like okay in my yeah. own skin in a way that no one had ever felt. And she was an Anusara teacher, and I don't know if it was her or the Anusara that that made me feel that way. Um But it could have been. Yeah. I, I'm sure it didn't I'm asking hurt. because I have a very similar experience. I had an eating disorder growing up. Oh. And yoga really helped me. But mm -hmm. my first teacher was Anusura as well. Oh. So, and other teacher, I had trouble to find that same heart connection after mm -hmm. her. Of course, like your first teacher is something special. Right. But I think there was something there where I felt more seen and more like supported than in the regular like a vinyasa flow class kind of thing. Yeah. And I also think part of, um, I think the focus, like the structure, the alignment of Anusara also helped me because it, it took me, it took me into my body mm -hmm. in addition to what 
her her energetic offering. I I think I needed someone really to just take me and make me feel my bones and my muscle and my skin mm-hmm. and how are they yeah, moving. Yeah, that midline, and, that pulling oh, yeah, in. Yeah, I gotta hug. <laughs> we gotta hug the midline. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and you know, I think your body affects your mind, and I think there's something to be said about feeling. Uh, powerful through that kind of muscular work, and it it was really potent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was a combination of all of that for sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, what are your goals or your intention as a teacher now? Like, what inspires you? So my goals and intentions are constantly changing and shifting, as I'm sure they are for you and every teacher. Um, I, I I used to want to initially I wanted to be more of what my teacher offered to me. I wanted to be somebody's like, I wanted to be there and, and hold people with love and energy. And, and I still want that, but it's not my highest intention. Uh, I, I see what I try to do in every class as um, trying to keep people safe, to be honest, at this point, um, trying to keep people within their boundaries mm-hmm. um, and making them feel okay about that and that it's not a bad thing to recognize your limitations. Um, I think my highest intention is it's been scaled back, I think, from trying to help people heal their energy and spirit and addictions um, to just uh, having healthy ranges of motion and joints and preventing, you know, helping people prevent disc slips in their lower back from sitting too much and just keeping a healthy body um, through a 75 minute or 90 minute class. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, currently what inspires me right now, I've been really inspired by uh, Iyengar for the last six years. Um, I think uh, I think Iyengar gets a little bit of a bad rap, mm-hmm. um, and I can understand some of the criticism about it, but it has helped me in my body in terms of understanding it. It's helped me help my students, and I think it's just a really fantastic, fantastic uh, form of yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the, or one of the biggest lessons you've learned in your years of teaching? The biggest lesson. It's <laughs> oh. a hard one. That is a hard one. <laughs> or something you're maybe still learning because maybe that's the biggest lesson if you haven't quite. Like- you know, the biggest lesson is that um, yoga is not perfect and it's not meant to be perfect. Um, I, I think there's, I think we all, well, not all of us, I don't like to cast that kind of generalization, but a lot of us come into this practice with the understanding that um, our teachers are perfect. This practice will make the life perfect that anything is that's imperfect will be fixed by yoga (laughs) yeah or isn't yoga and that's not it at all and a lot of us have this kind of rude awakening that uh, yoga is a tool Mm -hmm. to help us ride out the imperfections not to create perfections and I think that's um, a lesson that is paramount to learn to really be able to get the benefits of yoga um I think that would be the the kind of the, the biggest lesson. Mm-hmm. I think most people learn at some point, maybe quickly, maybe slowly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would. 
out of the many, I would maybe pick that one. Yeah, that's a great one. You call yourself a sarcastic yoga teacher. Like I've seen you use that on Instagram particularly. Why is it important for you to challenge some of the mainstream or dogmatic ideas around yoga? So I care. Like yoga has been a part of my life as long as I can remember. And I care really deeply about it. It's like the center of my life. I've dedicated essentially at this point, almost all of my adult life to it. And so it stirs something in me. It upsets me when I see it being co-opted or um, denigrated. And I'm not one to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. I, I never have been. And I kind of use my sarcasm as a way to both communicate truth but also I think it helps people see some of the absurdity Mm -hmm. in some of the ways that yoga has evolved because in a lot of my sarcastic posts I'm not actually being sarcastic (laughs) but I pick some of the really kind of ludicrous things that I see and repeat them in some way and it seems sarcastic but Mm -hmm. people people get it um And I think that that just, I I never sat down one day and specifically said, I'm going to be a sarcastic teacher and I'm going to use that to communicate. It just slowly kind of developed over, over time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's just, it's because it's, it comes very naturally to me. Mm -hmm. Why do you think critical thinking in general, it's important for yoga teachers or yoga students? So I think. I think it's really important. And, you know, over the years of posting sarcastically and sometimes not sarcastically, sometimes just as honestly as I can, um, I've been uh, called out as being uh, judgmental. Hmm. And I don't get frustrated or angry very often, but uh, when I see someone offering criticism and a, a yoga teacher says, or a yogi says we should be non-judgmental. It really frustrates me. <laughs> it really frustrates me because somewhere along the line, we got, someone got the idea that we're not supposed to be discerning, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the opposite of what my understanding is of what we're trying to do. And if I were to take kind of like this, maybe overgeneralized understanding of how that happened is going back to what I said earlier. I think a lot of people uh, perceive yoga to equate to some form of perfection. And under that umbrella of perfection, we're supposed to be only kind to each other, but a very specific kindness and niceness and loving kindness. And I think for a lot of people, they don't see that as creating room for critical discussion. Um, But I think when we see things that we feel deeply that are unacceptable, being thought of as acceptable, then it's our responsibility to talk about it. Whether it's in the yoga world or not. Exactly. And yoga is like, we create yoga right? It's not this living, breathing, separate entity from us. Mm -hmm. The yoga practice is how it lives through every person. 
you know, like how it lives through you and me and it's evolving. And I don't think we should stop it from evolving, but I think we have a choice in how it evolves. And I think the way that it's evolving is both beautiful, but it's also very disenfranchising um, and problematic as well. And I think there's room for that discussion and it needs to happen if we want it to evolve inclusively mm -hmm. and helpfully. To be honest, if we don't want it to just become something that we do for um, aesthetic sake or, um, or monetary sake, yeah, that, that there's something deeper than that. So I think critical thinking in the yoga world and, of course, outside the yoga world, but that would be a whole other yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> we'll do another go, Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> keep it to just yoga today is, is paramount or it's just paramount. So that's why I think it's important. Mm -hmm. How do you think we can balance between that reverence that we might have for the practice or for a teacher and that critical thinking? Well, because you were saying like people sometimes don't feel comfortable criticizing them or they feel like it has to be a certain way or. Yeah, I think I, I think I understand what you're saying. And it's a good question because you don't want to become so critical. You become jaded mm. and disconnected from the spirit of practice, which to be honest, I've, I've had those moments where it's definitely happened to me. Um, and it no longer feels like I'm practicing yoga. I'm just observing it mm. and analyzing it. And really, I, I think that itself is a practice that we're always doing where you're holding, um, contrasting opposites, right? Where you have to hold both strength and ease mm -hmm. and yada yada and pleasure and pain and then there's all of that um i really like this this concept that one of my buddhist teachers uh taught me about uh blind faith versus mm -hmm. verified faith right blind faith where you just kind of blindly put your faith follow. in something and follow and um and verified faith where you you kind of like sniff it out a little bit and, you know, make sure that you haven't turned off your logical way of looking at things. And then once you've kind of have built trust and understanding, then you can kind of have faith in that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you have to have verified faith so that you don't either become completely um, jaded, like I said, or uh, trying to think of a nicer word than disempowered. Yeah. I want, yeah. The, I don't know why the word that comes to me is naive, but that's too mean. Um, <laughs> just, uh, like awake, awake. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's a difficult balance, but balance always is. Yeah, <laughs> sure is. Yeah. In your opinion, what's in the scope of a yoga teacher versus what's not in the scope? Ah, that's a really good question. Um, One of my uh, current, let's call it, frustrations mm -hmm. is the that yoga teachers, and I, I think this just comes from pressure, like just feeling pressure by this this perception that yoga has to be perfect, that they can offer all of this type of advice um, into people's lives mm -hmm. that, um, you know, really we don't have any business doing. Um, so, I mean, I, I've said it before, yoga teachers, we're not nutritionists. We're not doctors. We're not physical therapists. We're not therapists. We're not 
any of those things unless we are. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, there's lots of teachers that are also therapists and doctors, but, um, you know, we have to be constantly aware of our limitations in what we can offer. And, um, in one of my posts, someone said to me, uh, you have a really, you, you have a pretty limited idea of what a teacher is. And I thought, well, that's a really good point. You know, I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm circumspect, circumspecting teachers to just too small of a role, but I think we're yoga teachers. And while yoga touches every aspect of life, right? Once we practice it, it affects how we do everything. Um, I really think we should stick with teaching uh, poses and yoga philosophy and, you know, maybe incorporating different, like, you know, different philosophies outside of yoga and different ranges of movement. But, you know, I don't, um, I don't think it's smart for us to take charge of other people's lives when we don't have, when most of us don't have the training to do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's about teaching philosophy, but not prescribing how to apply that philosophy to your life. Yeah, exactly. Like I think, you know, yoga fundamentally is a philosophy. Um, I think for a lot of people, and that was really well said, you can take that philosophy and apply it to all these different areas, but, um, you know, we're not supposed to be prescribing things to people. Um, and I, I see it happening a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't think teachers are doing it on purpose. Uh, you know, I don't think that, that they think they're allowed to, but you know, we're, we're constantly putting teachers on, on pedestals. And so then we feel like, oh my gosh, this person trusts me. So I don't want to let them down and say, I don't know. Um, but most of the time we don't know and <laughs> it's okay to not know. I don't know anything sometimes, Erica, when people talk to me and I tell them that I said, I don't know, go to a doctor, please go to a doctor. Oh, look at that thing on my foot. Go to a doctor. Just stop right now, you know, and maybe I'm letting them down. They wanted me to tell them, but, um, I, I I'm very limited in that. So that's mm -hmm. my idea of a scope. <laughs> What's your opinion on social media, self-promotion, and fame-seeking yoga teachers? Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's another big question. Okay, so here's the thing. Yoga teachers have to make a living. We have to, right? It's a very difficult job to make money in. Every teacher knows that. Mm -hmm. And we have to find a way to make a living and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Our training, our education, our skills have a monetary value, and they should. Um, and it just so happens that a lot of people have used social media to uh, make a living, right? And this has led to kind of the meteoric rise of... of um, Instagram famous teachers or rock stars or whatever you want to call it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to pick one label because some labels are pejorative and some others, right? It's just true, right? There are teachers out there that people know about because of Instagram. That's, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's the way it is. And, you know, for those teachers, it's great because they're able to make a living doing what they love, which is what we're all trying to do as yoga teachers, mm -hmm. you know? And um, the problem is, the people who have been able to do that 
are largely a certain group of people. And we know what those groups of people are. Very fit, very young, very attractive, extremely able-bodied, mm-hmm. and, um, and technologically savvy. Now, of course, not all of the Instagram teachers are like that, but a majority of them are. And the bigger the platform that they have, the more people see yoga as yoga for that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that itself is a problem because I think those teachers have inspired a lot of people, but I hope they know that they've discouraged an equal number of people. Mm. And I know that because I travel all over the country and I talk to yogis everywhere. And for every person that's inspired, it makes someone else feel bad about what they can or cannot do. And I think it's improving a little bit. We see that kind of, you know, we see other teachers that aren't fitting those criteria, um, getting attention and having a voice. It's taking a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so so there's some good that's come with it, but there's some bad that's come with it. And, you know, again, those teachers are just trying to do what we do, um, but they have a huge responsibility. Um, I can't speak to whether or not they address that responsibility. I can only speak to, because I don't, sorry, I don't follow any of them because <laughs> I just don't care about what handstand you can do with a quote underneath it. I don't, um, you know, and I think that there needs to be this acknowledgement that it's created a dynamic mm. in the yoga world that is not inclusive of everyone. Um, and sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I'm like getting, uh, yeah, look, sorry, I'm going way off on a tangent. Of social media, self-promotion and yeah. fame seeking. You're on that fame seeking part of the, the question. Fame se- I probably have been the whole time. <laughs> you know, social media is, uh, it's, so like I said, it's great. And it's, I'm not going to pretend that I haven't benefited mm-hmm. from my. How do you use social media? I use social media a lot. You know, someone might be listening to this and say, oh, what a hypocrite. You use social media and I've gotten business through social media. Um, and I'm not saying that social media is fundamentally evil. Um, I'm saying that we have to be really conscious of how we use it. I use it to, you know, people have to know what you're teaching, where mm-hmm. you're teaching Um, and it's a very easy conduit through which to use that. And I think that's great. You know, it saves us a lot of time from announcing it in every class or, you know, sending out a newsletter every week and saying, this is when I'm teaching, you know, I use it to get my opinion and my voice out there as best as I can. And I like to think that maybe that's helped a little bit, um, but I just don't know. I, I go back and forth a lot. I, I'm really, <laughs> I'm ambivalent with it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's a challenge for sure. Yeah, for sure. What would be your one tip for new yoga teachers? My one tip for new yoga teachers. I know you do teachers. teacher training. So maybe you have a like pet peeve that you're like, when you're out there, <laughs> don't take yourself too seriously. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you know, um, I hate to say this because um, this makes me sound so mean, but, um, you know, I do. I've, I've run a lot of teacher trainings and teaching yoga makes you so vulnerable. 
um, and you get so self-conscious and all of your insecurities come up. And, you know, I, I acknowledge that and in, in my trainings and I talk about that and I just say, I, I personally think this is effective. I lower the bar of expectations. I say, you know, 99 out of 100 of us are really going to suck at teaching when we come out of tra- we're just going to suck in the beginning in the beginning yeah in the beginning <laughs> when we first begin you are you know i think a lot of us feel so self-conscious because we ex- we we want to come out of our teacher training and have the same teaching capacity as the person who led the training or the teachers that we go to and you know you Every teacher that you've had, when they first started teaching, fumbled over their words and said absurd things um, and taught terrible sequences. Um, and that's just part of the process. Uh, and, and I think that people need to be reminded of that. There's a couple of, you know, there's every so often there's someone who comes out and takes to teaching really naturally. It's usually someone who's already a teacher of some other form and they have that ability to stand in front of a group of people and not have their, you know, their whole skin shrink and they, you know, <laughs> their head pops into their shell. And, um, so I, I know it sounds mean to say that, but I think it helps people keep their perspective of how the progression of becoming a teacher goes, which is for a lot of us really just, you know, slow, steady as she goes one bit by one mm. bit or one day at a time. Um, so I don't know if that's the most helpful tip. I give other tips, but that's definitely one I think that, I think it's unorthodox. So I'll just, that's why I picked that one. I mean, be patient. Yeah. It's a meaner way of saying be patient. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fair tip. Take your time. Maybe I should say that instead. Be patient (laughs) instead of you suck. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's good. I'm learning a lot today. (laughs) Uh, talking about new teachers, in your opinion, what are the pros and cons of the amount of practitioner and the amount of new teachers augmenting so rapidly here? What are the pros and cons? Mm-hmm. When I first moved to San Francisco, um, before I moved here in late 2009, I was teaching in Vancouver where I was in grad school and I didn't know much about yoga in San Francisco, but one of the teachers there pulled me aside and said, you know, in order to get a teaching spot, uh, someone has to die first. (laughs) That's not true. Once you get to San Francisco. And of course I got here and it was absolutely not true. (laughs) That's Um, so dramatic. It's so dramatic. Um, But it scared me because it came from a non-dramatic person. It was was enough to intimidate me. Um, I think the pros is, is that yoga becomes more accessible. You know, I, I, we're seeing yoga studios open in places that you would have 10 years ago never thought to see uh, yoga before, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in these, these small, sometimes very conservative parts of the country. And I think that's wonderful because everybody has a right to practice regardless of their body, beliefs, experience. Um, you know, it's it, practicing yoga is not something you earn to be able to do. And I think this kind of prolific expansion has just given um, people the exposure that um, yoga really deserves in a lot of the ways. Um, negatively, I, the first thing that comes to mind is that 
if you want to make a living as a yoga teacher, um, it's we're, we're, we're self-cannibalizing in a lot mm-hmm. of places. Where on one hand, a lot of places are just getting yoga. In other places, um, it's become to the point where you have yoga in every gym, salon, studio, every corner. And, you know, we, as teachers to make a living, we have to form a community, um, generally speaking, in our classes. And it's really hard to, f- to form that community if everyone is going every different place mm-hmm. you think it dilutes it i think it absolutely dilutes it and um you know if if we step if we step out of the role as a teacher and we put ourselves into a student's experience i mean we're always students i know that but i'm saying like for someone who doesn't teach yoga and who has children and a nine to five job and who can barely squeeze anything in, you know, they're going to, they're going to want to go to what's most convenient and the convenience is great for them, but it's made it really hard to be able to be a teacher. And I I don't think that students think about that Mm -hmm. and they don't have to, right? Our livelihood's not their responsibility, but it's like, it definitely takes a toll. Do you think it takes the average quality down? The average quality of, of classes or of teachers, you know, probably. Mm. I think um, you know. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about the this the standards to be a teacher these days, mm-hmm. as well. And you know, I I think that um, at a lot of studios they vet their teachers really strongly, so that you're only getting experienced teachers, and that at others they'll hire new teachers and every new teacher needs to be, you need to start somewhere, like I said before. Um, but again, I don't think that lots of students, not all students, I, I'm, I try never to generalize about this teacher, that student. Um, they don't think about that, right? They go to whatever's most convenient. And, and I think it makes it harder to create a class that has a certain skill level or consistency. I mean, levels are meaningless at this point. They mean nothing. You know, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And I think that's why, because it just, Mm -hmm. you know, you used to just have a few teachers and a few studios and people would go to the same classes and there'd be this progression and this skill building to get to a certain depth. And now in classes, you, 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 you rarely see that anymore. So it's, it's, it's made it, it's diluted it a bit. Um, I don't think that's the only cause, but it's certainly part of it. From the teacher trainings and from the new teachers coming up, like you mentioned quickly that the expectations are different than they used to be. What do you think would be the one thing that's missing today in teacher trainings in like the 200 or in the 500 hours? That's like the basic. Oh, anatomy. Yeah. Biomechanics. Understanding what we are doing when we're teaching people poses to someone's joints to their thighs, you know, muscles, skin. And I don't think, of course, it's all important, right? Ayurveda is important. The philosophy is important. It's all important. But at the end of the day, most people who graduate are going to be teaching these very physically demanding poses to people, some people who have never exercised a day in their life because they think of Lots of people still think of yoga as this very gentle entree into being physically active. And we know that a lot of yoga classes are anything but that Mm -hmm. at this point. And so um, 
refined and strengthened understanding of uh, not just what the poses are, but how the body functions inside of the poses at all levels, at the 200 hour, at the 500 hour, at the 1000 hour, whatever. I mean, I taught in a 1200 hour teacher training, I didn't even know that was a thing, but you know, whatever, wherever, wherever it is that, um, you know, we are often reaching a lot of teachers, I think want to reach people at the emotional level that you and I have been reached at. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people to be able to reach them, they have to first talk to their body. Most people's right segue into their spirit is through physicality, mm -hmm. right? Which is why I actually think I'm not a vinyasa practitioner. I'm not a vinyasa teacher. Um, I have my criticism of vinyasa, but I think it's fantastic because so many people need to be worked into their bodies before they can ever be worked deeper inside. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that all of these trainings need to have um, more than five hours, more than 10 hours, more than 20 hours. It needs to be a huge section of it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there are lots of trainings out there that there are. Um, and I think there are far more that there aren't enough. Um, what's one thing you would change in the yoga world of today? If you had like a magic wand? Oh God, these are hard questions. There's lots of things I'd like to change or you can name more than improve, one. Improve, improve. You know, I think, um, I think one thing that would change that would help a lot of the, the critiques that I just, um, that I just have kind of summarized is that. I think if we could change the way that we measure, quote, success mm -hmm. of our practice and the way that many of us measure the success of our practice is how deep is my backbend, right? How many fingertips am I balancing on? Um, and while that is a form of, right, it's a form of success, um, I think if we changed measuring success with actually honoring our bodies um, and their integrity and kind of being okay with not getting far as opposed to getting very far in a certain range of motion, I think a lot of us would be um, a lot more content in our practice and um, not so angsty, right? I see a lot of, I don't know if you see this, but I see a lot of angstiness in students. And of course that can be so many things, but it's, it's always enhanced whenever I take the time to teach a level two or level three pose because there's this, I think internal performance. Yeah. The performance thing where people, um, yeah, they measure how they're doing with, uh, how deep they're pushing their body. And I think that that's the root of the lot of, uh, challenges that yoga faces. Um, you know, I like to say that I have very, very rarely encountered anyone being injured from being too strong in yoga, right? I mean, you know, maybe a muscle cramp, is, um, you know, and I guess you could say that being too strong is maybe being too stiff, but I, I equate them differently. I strength in terms of being able to hold the power of mm -hmm. the muscles. Um, you all the time run into people from being too flexible, right? And I think that itself kind of tells you that there's a a, 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 there's a flexibility problem, not a strength problem in yoga. And it's partly because 
a lack of understanding, like I talked about a minute ago, but also I think that we measure our success through our flexibility, which is silly. Nobody gives a shit about what you can do flexibility-wise. I mean, it, it, and I tell, I say it, I say that as those exact words. Nobody gives a shit, Yeah. right? The person next to you doesn't, your mother doesn't, the Starbucks guy doesn't, your boss doesn't. Um, you know, who are you doing your practice for? And what are you doing these poses for? Um, so I, I, I would love to be able to change the way we measure the success of how we're doing in yoga. That would be my one magic wand. Yeah. I'll have to just keep it to that one, even <laughs> though there's, there's quite a few more. Before we wrap it up, I wanted to ask you one more question. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people think, and you mentioned this before, which is awesome. They think of their teacher as someone perfect. Mm-hmm. So what makes you human and beautifully imperfect? Oh, God, I have so many flaws. <laughs> I have so many flaws. Let's just, I'm yeah. just going to. We all have. Yeah, I I have so much anxiety. Hmm. I have to constantly work on my anxiety. There's never, you know, some people have a difficulty, a sense of enjoying something because they're always so anxious about experiencing joy and relaxation and um I have so much anxiety all the time and it's something that I'm working on. I'm, you know, I've, I've worked on it mainly with the therapist. To be honest, therapies help me more with my anxiety than yoga. It's probably not the best endorsement of what I teach. <laughs> Yoga's not been unhelpful, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I had to get a better understanding of it than just kind of connecting with your breath. And um, I'm not the most emotionally vulnerable person. I, uh, I, I'm also working on that too, of, of just being uh, honest with how I'm feeling, uh, listening to how others feel and mm -hmm. um, just kind of being more sensitive to that. And I think that uh, those are two things that I'm going to be working on for probably the rest of my life. Um, hopefully I'll get better at them. You only, things only improve if you actually create the intention and then the effort to improve them. Agreed. Um, Do you think you being sarcastic and using humor is a way to protect yourself and not be vulnerable? <laughs> Have you been talking to my therapist? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a it's a it's a protection mechanism. Um, it's not. I don't think uh, sarcasm and humor is inherently negative. But uh, yeah, it's for and for a lot of people, it is a, a way of keeping a wall up around their their most vulnerable self. So yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah, very good doctor. <laughs> good observation there. Okay, to finish on a positive note. Now that that was not positive, but <laughs> on a hopeful note, what is one thing you still love about teaching, or one reason why you continue to do it? One reason why I still love to teach? I mean, there's lots of things that I love about teaching and I'll always love about teaching. Um, I know. I love these questions, but I always have to keep picking one thing. Just, I mean, it's just to make it easier for you. It's just I'm not, I don't want to ask three things. Then uh, list, that's... list 20 things that you love. I'll just pull okay, out a go ahead. pencil. Every, everyone listening has three hours for each question, I'm sure. <laughs> They're not even still listening. No. <laughs> Oh, no, they're still there. Yeah, they're, well, let's hope. Um, I, you know, it's it's interesting. I love feeling like I give people a little bit of a reprieve. 
which is really interesting because I used to think that yoga is where you do the work, you know, and then you take that work into the rest of the world in your life. And I think that's very true, but I think people are very stressed. They're very upset with the world right now, every day, and it wears on them. And I think to give someone a reprieve, mm -hmm. a laugh, uh, a hamstring stretch, um, I think that makes a really big difference, um, you know, because I, I really feel at this point that, you know, every day is a battle for a lot of people, and that's just becoming more concentrated. And while I don't think yoga should be used as an escape, it, it can be used as a place to recharge and regain perspective. And as much as I drive alignment home, and it's, I mean, you've been in my class, it's a very, it's very analytical, it's, it's pretty heady, you know, you focus on the connection of the pinky toe with your outer hip, and then how that relates to the front inner thigh, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I always, always make sure to have a long shavasana, a few poses where I don't say anything, because people need the space to just be just to be right now, I think more than ever. And I don't see that changing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that I really love feeling like I give to people, which is again, funny, because I used to feel like I shouldn't be giving that to people, I should almost be doing the opposite. Um, and I'm sure I'll go change my mind again real soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, practice evolving, we're evolving as teacher. I think that's that's good. Yeah, we should we should always be evolving and changing. So I, I expect in a few years for me to listen back to this and be like, I feel completely differently now. We'll have to do another episode. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> I will put all your info in the show notes, but if people want to study or practice with you or they just want to say hello, where's the best place for them to find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook or uh, Instagram, although I don't, to be honest, I don't really look at Instagram very often, but I'm on there. Um, you can find me on Facebook and uh, my website is seanhaleenyoga.com and uh, good luck spelling that. <laughs> I'll put links for that. Oh, okay. I was going to make it a little puzzle, but okay. Yeah, that's good. It's helpful. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. This was delightful. Thank you, Erica. And thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to make my day and get your chance to win your $75 shop card from Athleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone and write a review. As you write your review, you automatically enter a giveaway, and I announce the winner on the next episode. If you're newer to reviews, check out the show notes for instructions or for more info about our guests of today. Or for both of those things, you can also go to my website, ericabelanger.com slash blog podcast. And if you don't know, I write my name with a K. Last episode, Athleta was also giving out a $75 shop card. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is user KK Brock. KK Brock said, I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to Erica's podcast. Every episode has taught me something new about the practice of yoga. And as a result, I'm becoming more curious and furthering my own practice and taking it to the next level. Thank you, Erica, for opening my mind to new possibilities and for the very thoughtful question you ask your guest. You are an inspiring person, both on and off your mat. Winky eye. See, it's that simple. Thanks, KK Rock, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. Once again, thank you guys for joining us. Until next time. <laughs>